Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody, to the Generous Business Owner Podcast. My name is Jeff Thomas. I'm one of the co-hosts, and we have a special, special treat for you today, my friend David Olfke. David, say hello to the people. Hello, everybody. (laughs) David is the co-founder and managing principal of Marble Capital, which is in the real estate space. David, we don't usually do big introductions. I mean, we could do lots with you. You've had a very interesting career and uh, involved in all kinds of ministry stuff. And But I'm just kind of getting into that as we go along. So so we'll tell more about Marble down the pike, but maybe we start out with uh, just your story of growing up. Where did you grow up? I know you're in Houston now where we both live, but where did you grow up and how, what was your family like? Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. I loved your line. You got a face for radio. I'm going to use that. Um, <laughs> So yeah, thanks. So I grew up in Lake Jackson, which is a little town just south of Houston, about a mile, about an hour south. And Dow Chemical is the you know the corporation down there. They have yeah. you know, a bunch of chemical plants facilities. My dad was a chemical engineer for Dow for thirty seven years. His first and only job, which wow. is pretty insane, you know. So I grew up in a Dow town, you know, a bunch of Aggies and a bunch of engineers, and I was really didn't want to be either one of those. So I ended up. Uh, <laughs> I ended up going to UT after I graduated from high school. But, you know, I had a great family, you know, really significant, you know, Christian roots. You know, I would say that I grew up learning how to go to church because that was what you did. You know, you go to church. The actual, you know, how to really become a follower of Jesus, you know, never really jumped out to me during my church experience down there. And I I might have missed it if it was talked about, but I'm not sure that it was. But you know, I did. I had this kind of this understanding of the Bible and understanding of, you know, what religion was. And, you know, so I went to UT after I graduated. And early in my freshman year, I got invited to a campus crusade event at hmm. UT. And so I went, I said, I got this Christianity thing. I've been going to church my whole life, you know. Right. So I'm very comfortable going and, you know, figured it out. And, they asked a question, you know, first time I went there, they said, hey, you know, here's the question I want you to chew on. If you were to die, you know, why would God let you into heaven? And I'm thinking, because I'm a good guy. I'm going to church. You know, I got this whole, this whole religious thing down. Hey, I, and, I got a fraternity brother. It's really, I mean, yeah. uh, all you got to do is beat one guy, right? Exactly. Like when the bear's but, chasing you. Exactly. The, <laughs> my, my bar was so low right. that I could, you know. And so when I basically heard a different answer as to, you know, what the Bible truly says, you know, about having a relationship with him, I was really kind of blown away. And so, you know, really started getting into the book of John and kind of understanding, I think it's a great place for people that kind of seeking, you know, to to start and just read, don't start at Genesis because you'll end up about, you know, 18 chapters and go, what the heck's going on, but start in the book of John and, you know, and God really revealed himself to me you know, my freshman year and long story short is, you know, that's when I really gave my life to Christ and realized it wasn't about going to church or being good and all this stuff because we could never be good enough. It was all about, you know, just having faith and and what God and especially through Jesus had already done for me. So that was kind of my aha moment that I, you know, I don't have some massive conversion experience, but I do think there's a lot of people that can kind of relate to that, you know, given 
kind of being in the South, being, you know, Christianity or, or being a Christian was kind of like, I love the way that, you know, C.S. Lewis puts it, you know, it's lost the, the term, you know, it ends up being a good guy, you know, and so, you know, a follower of Christ really is someone who places the weight of their their life on him. And so that was really the genesis of my true, you know, spiritual journey. And when I stepped into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. So I went to UT and I got a degree in finance. I did a minor in real estate. And it wasn't until I, probably my junior year, I took a real estate class. And it was really the only class I've ever really enjoyed. Wow. <laughs> you know, we all go to these crazy, stupid things that don't really make a lot of sense. And, and I did a uh, kind of a real estate investment class and got an HP 12C and was, you know, doing kind of structures and stuff. And it really grabbed my attention. And so I, that's when I decided I, I really would like to do something real estate oriented. And I graduated in 1985. Of course, in, you know, Texas was pretty beat up at that moment in time. And so I ended up working for a small development company out of school. They went bankrupt literally six months later and then hopped over to CB Commercial, Coble Bank Commercial, which was a commercial real estate brokerage company in 1986. And they stuck me in the apartment side. And, you know, the, the real estate market in the late 80s was horrific. And so it was a great time to kind of start because there was nothing going on. So I wasn't like I had zero opportunity cost because the markets were so upside down. And so really just kind of rolled up my sleeve and worked for a really good guy, a guy named Craig LaFollette, who mentored me. And he was full of integrity and just, you know, that was a just a gift. And I would say that, you know, young people, if you can just go, I don't really don't care what you do, but go find somebody that, you know, you can go mentor under. It's just hard to even, you know, beat that as a great way just to just to learn what work is about and how to do things with, you know, with you know, not perfection, but do things in excellence and really have some really good integrity in what you do. And so, so I was at CB from 96, excuse me, 86 to 96 and started my own company with a couple of partners in 1997, doing the same thing, multifamily investment sales kind of in Texas and around the country and grew that business to about 20 plus offices with a couple of the partners. And, and we sold it in 2014 to the real estate arm of Cantor Fitzgerald called Newmark. And so, you know, over that 30 year plus 30 year span of time, really got to see, you know, so many interesting things and, and transactions and great relationships and, and then had the, the ability to start Marble Capital a couple of years later. And we can go into more detail with that. Yeah. I've always been in the multifamily business. It started out kind of as a four-letter word. It wasn't the darling of commercial real estate investments back in the day. It was office and industrial. And it really turned into an institutional quality property in the late 90s, early 2000s. And, and you know, just demographically, it was really attractive. The supply demand was very much in balance. And it's been a, you know, again, divine. I had no idea why I ended up there other than it's been a great spot. Yeah, you've, it seems like you've had some kind of key people come into your life at just the right time. And some, you know, I listened to a, a, uh, some secular podcasts and one of them always talks at, at the end about whether uh, their, the business success has been, how much of it is luck, you know? Yeah. And I'm always, I'm not a big believer in, in luck. 
you know, mm-hmm. I think God, God guides these things, you know, and, and so like the person that came into your life in college and maybe helped mm-hmm. you mature your faith and then yeah. things that you don't control, like you came into real estate at the bottom yeah. or close to the bottom of the real estate yeah. market in Houston, you know, at least at, at the top of the old oil cycle. And then you find partners. What were your partners like? Were mm-hmm. I know you did some apartment life stuff. Maybe you can talk about that. What was the culture like in that business? And how did you, what were some of the ministry things you were doing in the early part of your career? Yeah, that's great. I couldn't agree more. I mean, circumstantial, I don't even know that, you know, is the right word, but certainly, you know, God's providence, his sovereignty really shows up throughout my career and not to make it all about me, but I can just tell you some of the things that happened, people, as you mentioned, timing, those things are just, they're, they're crazy. But yeah. You know, the first 10 years of my work career, I, I wish I could tell you that I had a spiritual sense to my work, and but it was zero. It was completely motivated by fear and greed, you know, which is not really that unusual. And they're actually pretty good motivators, you know, yeah. to get moving. Pretty effective, at least for a the, while. The problem is you have no purpose in that because we all know you just, you kind of run, it kind of runs dry. You know, it's a, it's not a stream, it's a pond. And so you just get stuck. So really my kind of aha moment was in kind of 97, 1997, when we were starting this new co and I was scared to death, to be yep. honest with you. Cause yep. I, as I mentioned, my dad worked for Dow chemical for 37 years there was not one entrepreneurial bone in his body. I never saw it. I never right. saw any risk taking. No modeling of it. Nothing. And so, so I was really, you know, I just didn't know if that was what you're supposed to do because I never. So really interesting. Saw it so model. true. Yeah. And so, I started kind of looking at different ways that you know we could use this new business to you know make an impact. And so you kind of mentioned I got was interested in some apartment ministries because if you think about it, apartments are pretty messy places. You got a lot of people living there that bumps and bruises and life blow ups. And I heard somebody today, actually today, I can't believe I heard this today. And maybe you can verify this. They told me 95% of the people living in apartments in America today are unchurched. Generally speaking, that's right. You think that, I mean, that that's yeah. a shocking number to me. Well, if you look at, well, if you just kind of look at the math, you know, two thirds, one third of kind of America lives in apartments, two okay. thirds single family homes. So, you know, it could be a little bit extra, you know, you know, yeah. exaggerated, but the vast majority of people uh, that live in multifamily, live in apartments, you know, are, are unchurched. And, and basically there's a lot of reasons or a lot of um, it's a, it's a little bit of a nomadic, you know, people are moving around there. There's not a lot right. of, by definition, it's a by shorter lease. You know? Exactly. I mean, yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's very little stability. And then you have these just you have I mean, divorces and, yeah. you know, all kinds of mm, that's things. Interesting. Yeah, that I hadn't thought of that. That cause household growth. It's not necessarily good household growth, but things oh. in, in lives and stuff that, that cause those things. So, yeah. So I got kind of thinking about apartment ministries and was involved in a couple of things. But then really the cool thing was when I met this guy, Stan Dobbs, who had, had just started a ministry called Apartment Life, and he was taking young couples out of churches and planting them into apartment properties where they would go on, kind of go live there. And literally, that would be their community, if you will. Yeah. And they 
we were able to kind of structure it as a business value for the owner of the apartment property and that they would connect people, help them make friends. And, you know, turnover is a real large expense for apartment owners. And so if they can just keep people there longer, it's just better for the apartment owners. So if you, generally speaking, if you can connect people where they have friends on site, they're less likely to move out, you know, generally speaking. So, but then, you know, they would make friends and make relationships with the people that live there. And I'm just telling you, it doesn't take long and the phone rings and, you know, somebody's had a illness or a death or, you know, job loss or whatever it is, and they don't know where to turn. And so they have, we have these kind of people that are embedded, you know, into these properties and go love on them. And, and frankly, they take care of their physical needs as best they can. But ultimately, we all know the physical needs are great, but the spiritual needs are greater. And so that gives them the opportunity to share their faith, pray for people. And, you know, there's really no there's no better evangelical, you know, I think opportunity than to come along somebody and they just go, why are you doing this? You know, and it's it's because they've been called to live on site and be there to, to minister to people. So, you know, that little uh, ministry, we thought we could get into, I don't know, 50 to 100 properties in a day. They're close to 700, you know, with people wow. situated all across the country and, and really making a, a really big impact. So. The aha moment for me was that could there really be an opportunity for your work and your spiritual life to ah, Yes. Mm. And so I was just blown away that here I had access to people that own departments. I had this guy who's just a, a great, what I call a, a spiritual entrepreneur. And, you know, and to the extent I could be a part of this and make introductions uh, to people that own apartments and kind of sell why apartment life would be a great thing for them to consider. And so it, for the first time, fear and greed were great motivators. And all of a sudden I had a completely different purpose, you know, for mm-hmm. getting up in the morning. And it was all, it didn't mean I quit my job. It didn't mean I went into full-time ministry. It just meant I kept doing what I'm doing, but I'm looking around going, golly, that would be a great property for the, you know, for, for us to put a team on. And so it was really cool. It was really, you know, crazy that that was something that, you know, I was able to participate in and really changed kind of the the pathway, the trajectory of, you know, my spiritual journey from there on. Yeah, there's two things I love about that. First of all, uh, if, if people have listened to uh, to me for any period or, or my story, like I spent my 20s just chasing worldly success and asking God to bless my plans. Kind of same thing. I grew up in the church. I was a believer, but I didn't really have a personal relationship. And I thought ministry was what the, you know, my dad, the pastor did. And then us trying to be good people, financially support the people doing the heavy lifting, mostly on the weekends, right? Or in Africa somewhere where I'll never go. Okay. And then, so this whole idea of the integrated life that you're describing where, and to me, that's so Beautiful, because like at that time, you were a broker for multifamily, but but then right. you were also acquiring some properties. Is that right? I mean, a little bit, but a we little were, bit. Our but, main core business was more. But you knew the, the business, sale. right? You knew yes, the people right. that owned them. You were dealing. Right. That's your market. And then, right. but but what I love about it is how congruent it is. Yeah. Like the people living in the thing you're yeah. transacting in. Yeah. How do we serve? So I love it. You know, one of my favorite things in the Bible is like the way. You know, Moses is like, I don't have anything. What am I supposed to do, God? He's like, what's in your hand? He's got the staff, you know? Yeah. It's like, what's in your hand? Oh, I know people in apartments. And I I mean, 
That's what's in your hand. So I, I just think there's somebody running on a treadmill that's going, wait a minute. What about the people that work for me or my customers yeah. or whatever it is? Yeah. You know, it's it can be right in front of you. You know what you yeah. think? Yeah, so relationally. Cool. And and I tell people that, you know, maybe my situation is a little bit unique, but, you know, most people office in an office building and there's other people on your floor or in the building or people that work at the building or you certainly have neighbors and you have people. Around. I mean, if you kind of step back and look at everything that is involved in your life, there are people. And so, right. you know, how do you use the, the the skills and the talents and the resources that you have to pay attention, be intentional, um, to love on people? And I think yeah, whoever's in your path, right? Like it, it could be employees, it could that's be customers, it. it could be the tenants of the buildings mm-hmm. that you have something in common with, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. It just it just being yeah. aware of those things, and uh, and so. You know, obviously the transition was a big deal. Okay, from selling the old company and starting yeah. the new one. Yeah. Now, is that an important part of your story from a faith perspective, or did you just roll everything into the new company? Did that liquidity cause a new issue with money for you from a generosity standpoint? Maybe talk a little about that transition if that was important to you. You know what was interesting was. The transition from my old business, ARA, now called Newmark, to Marble Capital was pretty seamless. I will say a lot of the things that we initiated in our office at ARA, whether it was a Thursday morning Bible study or some charitable stuff that we did, you know, I just I really loved the the opportunity to take young guys, Mm. generally speaking, some girls, but younger people and introduce them to this concept of if you are a follower of Jesus that you, know, you could continue to you know work but also integrate you know your faith within your work and whether it was just at you know just within the office setting or or maybe it's giving and so i think what with, i would say that you know we've been able to do similar things if not greater things you know with our new company because once the old, we sold this you know, more of a public company, you know, there's a bunch of shiz that you can't do. And so right. you just, it kind of gets frustrated. And so going back, just, just a smaller privately held business, you can go do whatever you want. You know, it just right. gives you a lot more flexibility. And so what we did with Marbles, we set up a, a charitable fund and we donate 10% of our, our profits to our fund. And, and so we get to kind of give collectively you know, here. And so we sit around, but, Hey, what you, you got anything? What you, what's on your heart? You know, yeah. what do you like? And well, you know, I'm, my son just went to Texas children's hospital and had some, you know, issues and man, they were awesome. I said, let's, let's, what can we do? You know, so it gives you as a group to look at giving in a different way than just do it individually. That's which, one of the questions really that that's one of the questions I know Alan Barnhart gets a lot because it's gotten so big at his company and, uh, he may join us and jump in here, but to talk about this, he'd be better to ask the questions. Alan, are you with us? I am. Yeah, I just pulled in. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, thanks for joining us. But, you know, one of the things, David, as you probably heard, was just commenting on is I get asked a lot, actually, for introductions to Alan about how his company figures out how to give away money. So, Alan, you know, maybe you could ask David what that process looks like for them. You know, yeah, I'd love to hear two things. Love to hear about that, and also a bit about your family and how that 
how they've tracked along with you there. Yeah. So I'm married uh, 34 years, be 35 in February. <clears throat> Three kids. Uh, David Hill's my oldest, who's 31. He's married to a just an incredible girl from Abilene, Texas. Um, and they're expecting their first child in May, which is really fun. And then my daughter Kendall's getting married Saturday. So the wedding's at Second Baptist and the reception's in my backyard. She's married a, a really great guy who played baseball, professional baseball for seven years, eight years. And so we're um, really excited about adding him to our, our family. And then my youngest, Sam, is a senior at the University of Texas. So, you know, we're kind of in a, in a cool, cool place in life where, you know, we, we're still spending tons of time with our family, yet, you know, I'm not, you know, they're not living necessarily with me <laughs> to deal with all that. But, but anyway, so, you know, my wife is a godly woman and we've, and we've really, we've really kind of stayed step in step as we've grown in our faith. And, you know, we're, it's like when you've heard that Berkman test, you know, where, you know, you got 10 things that say you are, whatever it is, 10 qualities will work. We're eight out of ten, the exact same, and two we're di- you know, bipolar or whatever. We're like the complete opposite, and so you know the way that we proceed in our journey is a little bit different in a couple of areas, you know. But it's very, it's been awesome. So we've, you know, I'd say that probably from the giving standpoint, she's a hundred percent supportive of what we give to. She's just not as involved into it. She doesn't. I mean, she kind of likes. Look, whatever you, whatever, and I say, look, if you have something that's on your heart, you really want to go support, just tell me. And so I, I try to keep her in in the in the mix as much as possible. But I know it's just not really her. You know, she's she's not as involved in that. But I usually at the end of the year kind of put together a uh, kind of a summary of what we supported and why, and kind of hand it to my kids and let them kind of see what we're doing and try to encourage them. You know, as well, I didn't really see, you know, generous giving modeled in my family growing up. And so I think it's something that I think it's helpful if you can if you can kind of lead a little bit. And and it's not because you're trying to pat yourself on the back, but we all know that it's joyful. You know, it's like I benefit more, I think, than the group that, you know, you're giving to. And so it's almost hedonistic to some extent, you know, as to why, you know, you want to give. So. And so just trying to encourage my family to take on that desire, if you will, to uh, to do that. That's wonderful. Bringing them in is great. How do you decide? You have a finite amount of capital and you're an investment guy. And how do you decide what ministries to invest in? Yeah, that's a great point. So I love a good return on investment. So that's really important to me on what, you know, we feel like you can get the most bang for your buck. And and so that's certainly at the top. The other thing is things that have influenced and affected our lives. I remember when my kids were in high school and they were doing the young life, you know, thing, and I saw fruit and I saw impact. I wanted to support young life. I mean, that was just a, it was, you know, right in front of you. And then as far as kind of core at the core, you know, just because I gave my story early of, of really, you know, sitting in church for you know, many, many years and not hearing the gospel, I'm, I'm really attracted to, you know, evangelical ministries. And so, and the second thing is I like giving to things that I know non-believers aren't going to give to, you know, I, because, and nothing wrong with hospital systems or, you know, universities and stuff like that. But, you know, that's not, 
I don't feel called to pour money into those type of nonprofits. It's really more heavily evangelical based. And then it would be, that would probably be at least probably half of what we donate to. And then another 25% are going to be just helping people, things that help and love, love on people, you know, whether, you know, different things, whether they're out of the country or what have you that are meeting needs of basic needs of people. And I like it to have a, a faith background to it. And again, it's not because that helping isn't good just on its own, but I just am, am more attracted to it if it's got, you know, faith-based component to it, to where, you know, God shows up in some form of fashion as you do that. And then the last quarter would be, you know, just kind of, like I mentioned, just things that have maybe affected my family. Uh, maybe it's not quarter, maybe 10 or 15%. You know, my wife had breast cancer. One of the things I was going to tell you earlier, Jeff, is that I think God gives us a lot of experiences. It's not just work, yeah. whether it's an illness or something you go through that you wake and go, golly, you know, I, I think I can go, you know, pour my life into that because I that was, you know, really benefited me. And so when she had breast cancer and did all the stage three, she did the chemo, radiation and surgery and all that stuff. And then, you know, she comes out the other end. She's amazing. She looks great. She's healthy. And so what better way to go help other people that are going through the same thing than my wife sitting down there and hey, look, you know, I got through this. I, I promise you, you can get through this. And so some of those life experiences that God throws at us and puts in our path, I think are great ways and great things to support, you know, as you uh, assuming that it was, you know, it's worth supporting. Got it. And then do you, go do ahead, you, uh, Alan. Do you get any help with that? Or do you have other folks in the company or or friends that are that are helping you think through some yeah. of that? Or is that you doing that on well, your own? That's really me personally. Corporately, we um we're all very like-minded. We all are very, you know, evangelical as a as a priority for us. Um, but you know, there's kind of a housing bent with that too, which is kind of fun. So whether it's apartment life is an easy one, but there are other things out there that, you know, kind of line up with what we do in investing in, in, in multifamily properties, but with the faith-based component to it. And so those are like no brainers. As an example, like, you know, we've supported a, 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 a charity called Haven House. Do you know, uh, I do. You know, I do. you know, Mike Moore and his group. Yeah. I mean, it's an example. They're creating housing for people going through cancer. And so being able to kind of see the ability to not at a smaller scale, but, you know, anything like that, that we can, you know, kind of join. It's been a great, you know, blessing for us and to be able to, to participate like that. And then you have just kind of, as I mentioned, the, the personal stuff, you know, whether my longtime partner, Matt Rotan has been knee deep in boys and girls country. And so we've, you know, that's kind of his, that's his baby. And so we've support, we kind of support what, what the people in our office are passionate about. Well, I know you and Matt have been critical in doing this thing called Toolbox, and now it's spreading the nation, perhaps the world. So I know that's been a huge blessing to many people I know in Houston, but I know you've got them going in other cities. Can you talk a little about that ministry? Yeah, that's a great example of just showing up. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could tell you that I've I sat around and had this aha moment about, you know, men's ministry in the workplace. I didn't. I was, I had a breakfast 
with a guy that came in town to run a, a small Bible college in Houston and this idea to go put together a men's Bible study so he could meet some other men. And so in 2007, we organized a, a breakfast, excuse me, a lunch at the Houston Country Club with 25 guys and grew to 40, went to 50. And a couple of years later, we had 100 plus guys that were showing up. And that in 2011 kind of switched the format to more of a Bible, less of a Bible study to more of a, I don't know, just a bringing in speakers that, you know, Alan would be a great example of somebody that's got a great story and people are attracted to that. They want to go hear his story. And with the, with the attractiveness of somebody like that, you know, we have the opportunity to share the gospel and to, I mean, there's just, Sermons are great, but just a, somebody's testimony, somebody's story of how how God's worked through their life is just one of my favorite things. It's it's incredible. And so, so what went from kind of this one lunch to downtown, which Jeff, I know you were involved with at Kurt Nondorf, to West Houston at Lakeside Country Club, uh, went to the Woodlands, and then I had a friend of mine who was in Austin and said, "Hey, I love what you guys are doing. You mind if I do this in Austin?" They started Austin Country Club last year, have 250 guys showing up. Unbelievable, you know, what they've, what's grown there. I had a friend of mine who runs JLL, the largest commercial real estate company in the world. And I had him come speak last year. And he is a very gifted speaker. He is a, just kind of a, a very large figure in our business, put it that way. He's amazing. And after he spoke, he said, well, I got two comments. Number one, no one's ever asked me to give my testimony before. And I said, what? I said, you're the CEO of the largest real estate company in the U.S. and nobody's ever asked you. He's a Jesus follower. He didn't like he's, you know, he he goes, no. I said, that is insane. And he said, number two is I want to do this in Dallas. So, So he started up our Dallas toolbox last year and we have our next toolbox next Monday. And I think Clayton Kershaw's speaking at that. And then we have a friend of mine, I have a friend of mine in Atlanta. He raised his hand and wanted to do it in Atlanta. We had our Atlanta toolbox yesterday. And then we have one down in Sugarland that just cranked up. So it's just really, Jeff, I mean, I, I, I mean, this as sincere as possible. It's it literally just kind of, it's just kind of unfolded in a way that has blown, you know, blown me away. We have a wonderful guy that we've hired Divine appointment, uh, Tom Douthat, who's an executive director. He started March of 2020. Of course, we all know what happened in April of 2020, yeah. and it would have just shot. It would have just stopped. But having him on point, you know, he did some really creative kind of online, you know, kind of toolbox lunches without being congregated in the same place, kind of digitally uh, online. And so it's just been amazing. And having him on point has been, you know, incredible. So. Yeah, it, it's been fun to watch. And like I said, the 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 follow-up with guys, we have kind of now some really nice structure with new people that come to our lunches if they want to learn more about kind of their how to, to have a relationship with God or, or they're already believers and they're just kind of stuck. They don't know, take that next step and what that looks like. And so just some discipleship things that we get to do. And so, you know, just really excited about, you know, the opportunity set in front of us. Well, I mean, I just, I really want to compliment you on that. That's, I've been a beneficiary of that. And you just allow people, there's committees that sort of pay for lunch and then people can invite whoever they want and they don't have to pay for lunch. They hear a great testimony. And then the gospel is always shared at the end yeah. and, and an yeah. invitation. And so 
to me, it really fits with who you are. And so I just want to encourage you down that path. Like, you know, we've known each other for a long time in Houston. And I always, when I think of you, I think of a, just kind of an open-handed guy uh, who's easy to approach and that sort of thing. And, and, and the spirit of toolbox is like that to me, it's yeah. an easy ask. Here's somebody sure. coming. Is it going to be a Christian thing? Yeah, actually it is. Yeah. But it's not overbearing or convicting yeah. in an overt way. They can sort of convict yeah. themselves with the stories they hear. And then they hear the gospel, which a lot of people, as we've talked about, even growing up, don't hear it, even if they grew up yeah. in church. Yeah. So I just yeah, think it's, it's right down your alley, you know? Well, I appreciate that. What's interesting, and Tom talks about this a lot, he says the majority of the comments and feedback he gets from men who really enjoyed the lunch is that there's no ask. Right. There's no basket in the middle of the table. There are no cars to fill out. They're really, you know, people are so used to these daggum fundraiser, which are all good. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But just the sheer opportunity to invite somebody and you're not going to be, you just come be my guest and you don't get asked for anything. And it, there's no ulterior motive is really unusual. And I think, I think that's kind of been the, 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 the genesis why it's worked so well is the easy ask and there's no ask for them when they get there, you know? So it's, it's really been fun to watch, you know, the impact that's occurred. A lot of the guys that were on our host team that paid for lunches that, you know, frankly may, may not be, they're not anti-spiritual. They're just not, you know, kind of stuck and how they've grown. And it's, and there's just so many things that have been fun to watch. So I appreciate you saying that. No, well, I mean, it's really interesting. you know, you do live kind of with this open hand and, and you've had a wildly successful career, but you sort of, the way you tell the story is like, well, this guy just showed up and then I just kind of <laughs> seemed like the right thing to do. And that thing yeah. worked out. And then, Hey, this guy came along, wanted to buy the thing, you know? And so I, the, I think the, I think one of the lessons, frankly, for me that I learned from your, your path is just this living kind of expecting God to show up and show this path and being open to whatever He's got and kind of inviting your friends to join in and looking yeah. for opportunities. I, I really yeah. like that way of yeah. living. I think that's so true. I think just to, you know, we're all we're all very, I hate to use the word, busy, but you know, you got to be a little intentional, you know, when you and I can give you story after story where I was busy, but I got beat over the head, you know, with a hammer, not metaphorically. And so I had to stop and go, wow, that's kind of interesting. I wonder if I should do something there. And then, you know, just circumstantially things really started to line up and, and I love the way, you know, Terry Looper talked about it, you know, in his book, Sacred Pace, you know, that just, you know, you, you kind of go through these different things that, you know, help align to, to making decisions and, and, um, and you just see it. It's like, there's a, there's a patient, there was a, a great verse on my little Bible, my my U version, my Bible day, it says, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. Like, I've never even heard of that. But that's Psalm 130, verse five, I wait for the Lord, my whole being waits. I mean, we're not very good at waiting. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I I heard somebody say, I heard somebody say, the Lord is never on our schedule and he's never late. <laughs> In other words, it's our problem, not his exactly. problem. <laughs> exactly. So well, there's a lot of truth to that. So I, I love that out there. open-handed way of living. And, you know, as we wrap it up, 
uh, David, you know, we always try to wrap it up with like, like we always talk about Al and I are just a couple of business guys doing this, uh, kind of on the side to help, you know, inspire our friends and, and, uh, and you're a business guy and we're all just trying to kind of integrate our life with what God has for us at work and at home and weekends and Monday to Friday as well. So just, we always try to leave with just a practical tip. So maybe it's something that's already come up, but I just want to let the spirit guide you on just something practical to leave somebody that maybe they could implement over the next week to kind of start maybe integrating their, their life in their, uh, yeah. their spiritual world. You know, I've got kind of two things that jump out. <clears throat> and number one, when I look back at some of these things that we discussed today, the most impactful thing that I've been a part of were some of the most uncomfortable things I've ever done. Mm. And what I mean by that is, when you step out in faith in whether it's, you know, something within starting a Bible study in your company or, you know, something relative to your neighborhood or whatever it is, you know, some type of ministry where you're kind of exposing yourself, it's, it's very uncomfortable. And yet I think it's almost impossible um, to, to not feel uncomfortable if, if you're doing kind of, if you're following you know, path that God wants you to follow. And so that's, I guess, number one is if you're, if you've got something on your heart, but you're, it's really uncomfortable, you probably should do it, honestly. Yeah. You know, like it's, that. yeah. Because if it, if you're waiting for it, you know, to feel really comfortable or, or safe, it's, it, you know, that doesn't really be... require faith, frankly. Exactly. That's exactly right. So that's number one. And then number two, kind of just a thing spiritually that I've done this year that I've really enjoyed, and I'll try to explain it as quickly as I can. But so I really wanted to start memorizing more scripture. Mm. And so I, I started January 1, and I I would just kind of just ask God to put a scripture on my heart, and I have some that I like, and I started. But I did I, I basically, and I'm going to pull this up. I don't know if you, uh, you're not going to see this, but I put a calendar invite in my Google Calendar with the scripture verse and I put it there for six days. I don't do it by hour. I just, so I see it every yeah, day. I look for a week. Up and I look at, yeah. I look at my calendar and it's got this week. It's a wedding week. I got Ephesians 5, 31 through 33, which is, you know, Paul talking about, you know, a man leaving his father and mother and being yeah, perfect. And becoming one. And he says, you know, this is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of how Christ and his church are one. You know, but then the the kicker, and I'm a you know, is that you know, but you know, the husband must love his wife as he loves himself, and what the wife needs to respect her husband. And so I put this in my calendar, and I see it every day. I wake up because I look at my calendar every day. Believe it or not, I think we all do. And I can click on it, and I've got my verse there. And then what I've done is I've invited my family to join me in my calendar invite. And cool. so I send it to my wife and my kids. And Caroline, my my daughter-in-law and my future son-in-law, sometimes they click yes, sometimes they don't. I'm just telling you. Right. But I've been able to share it with my family. And so it's given me a... Oh, that's a cool idea. Not only have I plugged a ton of scripture in my head this year, and I remember a lot of it, not all of it. I try to go back through. I keep a running tally of it. But I also have something to really talk about spiritually with my family. I'm like, hey, did you, what do you think did about you read that it? Verse? Maybe, maybe yeah. you just read it once. Maybe, yeah. Anything jump out at you? Right. It just gave us, it just has given us something to stay connected with. And so I can't tell you the number of verses 
And again, it's going to sound like do, 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 do. But the number of times, you know, I pick a, you know, God puts in my heart, I pick a verse. I used to do it on Sunday morning and I either, it's at church or I go somewhere and they like, man, I got this, this great verse and it's Colossians 1, 15 through 20. I'm right. going, are you kidding me? I just picked that out this morning. This right. is insane. Yeah. And I can't tell you the number of times that it's just confirmed that, you know, that this is, you know, kind of what God's called me to do. So anyway, it's been a really fun thing to do this year. I'll, I'll be quiet, but it's different. It's easy. Yeah, I'm a visual person. So if I don't see something in front of me, I don't remember to do it. And so it's just been really good as it relates to my personality. Hey, we're so, all used to click and accept on meeting invites. So that's, I know. Uh, that, that's just I another, know. it's just kind of a uh, memorization uh, meeting invite. I love it. That's a great yeah. practical idea. Yeah. So that's my, my nugget for the for the um, for the day and kind of what's really impacted me. So I love it. Well, listen, uh, David, thanks so much for joining us uh, today. It's been a real pleasure having you on. Appreciate it. OK, thanks, and, and thanks, thanks, everybody. Alan. Thanks also, Alan, for jumping in and uh, and everybody for joining us on this week's uh, Generous Business Owner podcast. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Dad. See you. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.